I think there's two schools of thought. So there's some IT folk that want nothing to do with the OT. And if they can't see it and can't hear it and don't know about it, then they think it doesn't exist. But for me, that reputational risk still exists. So if someone hacks into an air conditioning system and is able to manipulate the air conditioning and it's a high-profile sort of target, the front-page news doesn't say, oh, but it wasn't on the IT network, so the IT guys are cleared. Like That never comes into the conversation. So then you've got your other IT specialists that understand that and they want full control of everything. And there doesn't seem to be anything in between. You are listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders on how they create optimal value in a smart world context. We combine strategy and technology talk to absorb reality, embrace uncertainty, and to go from path dependency to path creation. It's smart cities, it's smart buildings, it's data strategies, it's construction, it's real estate and industry 4.0, and most of all, it's smart people. And remember, it's the data you don't have that will change your life. With your host, the future shaper, the ecosystem architect, Nicholas Wern. This episode is sponsored by Platform of Trust. I like Platform of Trust because it enables companies to create value from any type of data. Therefore, it saves time, money, and it's the perfect tool for companies who want to make data-driven decisions on data they can trust. They make it easy to collect, harmonize, and trust the data from different sources and basically any source that you want. And you don't need to hire 10 IT technicians or spend hundreds of thousands for a cloud platform because Platform of Trust can manage integrations and you'll see if something goes down in real time. Platform of Trust enables companies to take action based on the data that you can trust. Today, not tomorrow. In this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast, we talk to Rob Huntington at Airmaster in Australia. We get to learn more from someone who's seen it all and is helping customers future-proof their buildings as well as their businesses. This is part one of two, and if you like this one, be sure to listen in on the next episode as well. We talk about how to merge the past with the present and what security aspects to consider, not only remote security. We talk about how to move away from smart buildings as a buzzword to a cost-saving advantage and how important it is to create communication between people. Rob talks about the importance of changing the conversation and that we can't take smart silo solutions and expect building intelligence. Hotels and other industries might have old guidelines hampering modern results in the hotel space and in other places. Maybe they need more modern guidelines, now more than ever. We definitely got a couple of problems to solve, and Rob is definitely there to solve them. This was a fantastic episode to record with an amazing smart building specialist. And after you've listened, please let me know what you think and what you want to hear more of. Thank you for tuning in to the Beyond Buildings podcast. Welcome, Rob Huntington, to the Beyond Buildings podcast. Thanks for joining. So please tell the world who you are (laughs) and what you're working on and where you're from as well. Rob Huntington here coming at you from Australia. My background is a refrigeration mechanic by trade and got into building management systems early on in my apprenticeship. And from there, been in various management roles over the last 15 years and sort of found myself in the digital building space more recently. So been deploying IT grade networks essentially into buildings for connected devices to communicate over securely. And the next transformation or digital transformation challenge is going to be integrating all those physically connected devices into a single harmonized 
integration platform. So, and I guess that brings us to today's topic around, yeah, an integration platform or IoT platform versus digital twin. And are they different or are they actually the same thing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, great stuff. Very short background, but I like it. So let's just dig into the bits and pieces. But just to start with not talking about technology, what segments are you working in? Is it like a hospital, CRE, or and what are the demands or the problems that you see from your customers? What are they saying? I mean, it's not that they're saying we need more backnet, we need more IoT, we need AI, or maybe they're saying it, but what is it that they actually need? What is it that they want? So my experience began with the Australian federal government. So they were looking for a solution, or it was basically a cybersecurity solution. So they identified that they had a lot of connected devices in buildings that were using various forms of protocols and primarily different forms of remote access. So they've mandated or specified now that any building that they occupy moving forward must have, it's called a building services network here. So I think different names around the world, integrated communications network or I found out it's called a BBN in Canada this week, so base building network, but essentially one fiber backbone, active Ethernet hardware in a mesh topology. But primarily they were trying to control remote access. So again, it's a single entry point in via a secure VPN. And also they were concerned with on-site security. So the ability to unplug a device on site and plug a BYOD in and be, being able to hit the network. So Whilst I think everybody's fairly familiar with what the offsite threats may be and people trying to get in from you know, the outside, they were equally concerned with locking ports down to IP addresses, MAC addresses, so you couldn't unplug a CCTV camera somewhere in the building, plug a different device in and be able to or be exposed to the entire network. So that's sort of where it began. When was this? Probably about four years ago, we did our first one. Admittedly, at the time, didn't have a lot of or had no IT experience, to be fair. And it was a very steep learning curve around the different language that IT speaks versus how construction or trades or builders speak. So trying to explain to an IT company, for example, what a hard hat is and what steel cap boots are and what the requirement is to get onto a construction site was a challenge. And equally, the other side trying to explain to different trades about communicating over a secure network and installing their applications on virtual machines that we were providing. Very challenging times, particularly on that first project, trying to bridge the two worlds together. And essentially, we acted as translators. So trying to translate OT to IT and IT to OT. And really, that was the success in the end was bringing the two worlds together during construction and making sure that the network was com complete and commissioned for all the trades to connect to and, and do their job. So yeah, that was about four years ago and we've done a series of government projects since then. But one of the advantages of the network is avoiding duplications in cabling. So when that translates to a cost saving, you start getting the attention of builders and developers. So we've managed to bridge from just doing federal government work from a cybersecurity angle to now being able to pitch it as a cost-saving exercise for builders and developers as well. So our current project is a mixed-use facility. So it's um, a twin tower development with local government. It's got some commercial tenants. It has a hotel and it also has a retail precinct. So 
again, it lends itself really, really well to the integrated network, and we've been able to save a lot of costs by avoiding duplications in cabling hardware. Um, and the next the next thing we want to try and avoid is duplications in um, graphical engineering. So how do we get that single pane of glass that everybody talks about? Because whilst the building services network does center around physical integration, from a user interface point of view, you're still accessing each system with your own interface, different set of credentials, which is a frustration for facility managers. So they've just invested all this money into a fantastic network. However, when it comes to managing the building, they've still got to log on to all these different systems. There's no communication between them, no interoperability. So how do we then overcome that for them? So instead of logging into 12 different systems with 12 different usernames and passwords, yeah, single sign-on and full visibility of the, the precinct building and that sort of thing. And like the system should also understand what the other systems are doing. So everything should be a combination of, well, everything that goes on. And so, but stepping back a bit, so you're talking about OT and IT. Of course, IT, everyone knows about information technology, but OT, operational technology, that's HVAC, refrigeration stuff, all this, like the nitty gritty, well, building automation, uh, hardware components, I guess, right? Yeah, it is, but there's starting to, yeah, OT might not be the correct term because there's other technology now that's connecting to our network. So we've got car park systems, number plate recognition systems. We've got lockers, wayfinding. So we're now, in the beginning, it was OT and your traditional vertical transport, HVAC and lighting that you mentioned. But we're now starting to see basically any device that can connect over Ethernet is beginning to be integrated or connected to the, the network. And then once it's on the network, you've got all these possibilities around connecting all of those different devices and creating yeah, exceptional user experiences. So the overused one is around the CEO sort of driving into the car park, the number plate recognition knows who he is, lifts up the boom gate, and when he gets to his office, his coffee's sitting on his table. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The whole like personalized environment, because I was talking about that yesterday as well. I want this kind of lighting, I want this yes. kind of humidity, et cetera, et cetera. And that goes with you. And the lights are like, they don't uh, start in the entire building, but they just follow you where you go, right? And then the coffee's there, all these kind of things. Exactly right. But I think there's a different philosophy or maybe an alternative philosophy where you want to separate the two. So one is like a separation of OT network because you don't want to deal with IT. Yeah. And then, I mean, no, I heard it, especially in the US. Because there are like the OT building automation people or like the vendors or the integrators, I would say, they might have or had a hard time talking to IT uh, because there is separation, right? Again, like the translation, they don't really talk to each other. Uh, so that's why, especially with maybe not with new builds as much, but definitely with existing buildings. So there you come in, IT department, no, 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 you're not going to be able to open up new ports, all these kind of things. It's really, really scary. So what happens is that there is a separation then of IT and OT. So the OT, yeah, it's like you VPN, that's a totally separate network. And then you have IT as a totally separate network just for the ease of install. So they don't have to spend like nine months of arguing battling, negotiating, demonstrating, educating IT and vice versa, just to get some level of connectivity for the devices. But have you seen that? Does that exist as well? Or hundred percent. So I think there's two schools of thought. So there's some IT folk that want nothing to do with the OT. And if they can't see it and can't hear it and don't know about it, then I th they think it doesn't exist. But 
for me, that reputational risk still exists. So if someone hacks into an air conditioning system and is able to manipulate the air conditioning and it's a high-profile sort of target, the front-page news doesn't say, oh, but it wasn't on the IT network, so the <laughs> IT guys are cleared. Like That never comes into the conversation. So then you've yeah. got your other IT specialists that understand that and they want full control of everything. And there doesn't seem to be anything in between. So, But we've definitely, I mean, the arguments and those discussions that you spoke about Particularly, we've got a hotel um, that we're working on at the moment and we've had that completely because what we're sort of saying that if you consider the IT and the OT together, you can get some pretty extreme efficiencies by utilising a wireless access point in a room as a consolidation point. So without going into too much detail, you can get to a single cable per room concept by using that wireless access point like your Ruckus or your HP that has onboard switching. So we're saying that we want to deliver the wireless internet, the telephone, the IPTV, and your hotel room controller via that WAP on the same network. And your more old school IT consultants just cannot deal with that in their minds. It's It can't be done. Yeah. No, I think like hotels is a challenge as well because they have their guidelines. So I was involved in a hotel project actually in New Zealand for five months ago before COVID hit. So that got killed, uh, of course, because no one is traveling. And of course, New, New Zealand, they, they closed down everything, right? But what we saw was that they also have their book. They have the guidelines. They have their principles, which might be, well, not necessarily up to date. So they have a very traditional mindset in how to look at things, right? And that has to be set in stone. Of course, we have, I understand their point of view because the hotel has to be the same in New Zealand as it is in New York, or they have to have the same experience. But of course, the downside, if they don't have a mature mindset about digitalization or IT, OT, IoT conversion or whatever it is, it's just such a great recipe for arguments for these silo thinking and it's just like perpetuates historic or a legacy idea that didn't really work in the first place is that what you're seeing as well that they have their guidelines that they have to adhere to or is it what is it that you're seeing well it's a combination of prehistoric guidelines that say we need to run eight cat six cables to every room because for example we want a, a physical high-speed internet connection like an ethernet port on the desk who even has a laptop that has an ethernet port anymore yeah. to plug? Like, yeah. why do we keep doing things the same way and expecting a different result yeah. or keep doing yeah keep following the same guidelines but we think we're going to be able to deliver an intelligent building at the end so in saying that the guidelines in my experience so far have been just that they're guidelines and the hotels yeah. themselves have been open to change but then you've got the consultants so they've been doing yeah. things a certain way they've been cut and pasting and recycling the same ideas for so long that looking at things a different way i guess it introduces risk for them but i just can't sit back and watch this repeating over and over again without saying <laughs> something and challenging it because yeah, yeah. there's just such a better way to do this. Yeah. But again, the classic is that the multiple cables per room and you multiply it out. It's just the scale, six cables per room, a hundred room hotel. You've ended up with 600 cat six cables running all over the place when it could have just been one per room and from the builders. So, so that goes... That goes back to the cost savings that we we're talking about before. So just explaining, okay, with a modern approach, we don't need six cables per room. We need one. Oh, okay, that's great because that's what the construction companies want to hear, right? And then, of course, if you educate the owners, okay, these are the benefits. But that goes back to, okay, are the owners then aware of 
what they want in terms of the benefits that they're looking for. Uh, and I mean, when I talk about hotels, it's usually, again, like the Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, that Wi-Fi is well, like the base need for like a person right now, right? So if you go into a hotel, even if they have the bestest <laughs> aquarium in the world or like all these fancy lighting and a great atmosphere, if the Wi-Fi doesn't work, if that is not smooth enough, no one cares, right? Because that's going to destroy your whole experience. So, And it's the number one complaint from hotel guests is around poor Wi-Fi, difficult to access or whatever it may be. So yeah, addressing that and then the added advantages of upfront cost savings with cabling. And then on the other side, selling them on that user experience that you can create around contactless entry. And it's probably more relevant now than ever. The whole digital room key concept of getting into the hotel, transitioning seamlessly to your room without having to have any human contact. I mean, again, that all is part of this whole digital transformation of hotels, which if and I guess it's about invest, reinvesting the cost savings on the cabling, reinvesting that into the platform that does allow digital room key to talk to the air conditioning, the lighting, have the scene set, the temperature set, uh, even little things like the cleaners. I continue to be shocked by the kickback that we get about picking up the make up my room signal. It seems to be that no one cares about that little button that you push and a light comes on in the corridor. That's the way in which cleaners are cleaning rooms. They walk around corridors looking for lights that are on to clean the room. And when we talk about what about if you pick that up as an input and you start to put a bit of intelligence into coordinating your cleaning schedule, so you only send a cleaner to a floor when half the floors need to be cleaned. And again, just something as simple as that from an operational efficiency point of view just blows people's minds at the construction phase. They just they don't understand why on earth we talk about that, the importance of that little light and what it could mean to the, the cost of cleaning over the life of the building. It has a massive impact. So another example, I guess, of the construction environment just not having any thought or not putting any thought into operationally how those decisions can affect if we spin it around why should they why should because they're not responsible for the building during the life cycle right so why should they care about it well their client should care about it so whoever <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're that, building, that's what it comes to right? yeah and yeah, it's exactly. educating that's what i mean i mean yeah. yeah if it's going to be an additional cost they want nothing to do with it so exactly. yeah, it's a really, and that's where your terminology of smart from the start, if you've sold the owner operator on that concept from the outset, and that trickles down through the value chain, you've got a much greater possibility of influencing the designs than trying to convince a builder to add one input to every single room to pick up a light that they just don't care about. So yeah, it's engaging with the right people at the right time is Again, it's another obstacle, I guess, or yeah, not engaging with the right people at the right time is another obstacle in the way of <laughs> yeah. me and a digital building. So, <laughs> Yeah. Talking to, again, like one of the customers that I work with is GC, and they say like nothing will happen unless the owner wants it to happen. So like part of their life is, of course, educating the owner in what they see is necessary for them to understand. But it's also like if the owner doesn't want it to happen, it's not going to happen. That's how it is, right? Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah. And how do you go about in changing their minds so that, because again, like the construction phase is just, it's just a couple of years, but the building's going to be there for what, like 50, 60, 70 years. So the operating phase is of course more important. So even if we see a, now a consolidation, then of building a bit smarter, 
for the user experience, maybe for the people, then we go back to what we talked about in the beginning. Like the different siloed systems, they don't necessarily talk to each other. And the FM companies, the ones that are doing the operation, technical asset managers, all of these people, they're struggling because there's not a single pane of glass to everything yet, at least for the most part, as well as with security and all these kind of things. But how do you change that conversation so that owners understand like what they need, what they need to be able to tell the builders, what they need to be able to tell the construction people, okay, build it like this so that we can reap the benefits. Just tell me about how you're working in solving that problem, so to say. Yeah, it's a challenge because you really need to be having these conversations two years before the building's even designed or considered to be built. So the way I'm attacking it at the moment is we've got to create a digital building blueprint basically for each client and map the user journeys and understand what it is we're trying to achieve. And I think there is a appetite for that because, yeah, in light of COVID and vacancy rates and, and effects that we're having, say, on the commercial building sector, New buildings need to differentiate themselves to attract new tenants and attract good tenants. So that journey and how people will interact with buildings in the future is starting to become more of a conversation. We've got two buildings in Canberra at the moment that are sort of competing against one another as to who is going to be the most intelligent building. They're in close proximity to each other. They're both being built at the same time. And yeah, it's about who is going to get the most intelligence and create the premium user experience between the two buildings. So I think that's an interesting insight, I guess, that uh, it depends on the sophistication of the client and and what sort of tenants or in the back to the case of the hotel, what sort of hotel guests are you trying to attract? So is it a five-star hotel where you do need all those bells and whistles or is it a three-star hotel with a split system on the wall and those additional costs to create those experiences doesn't necessarily align with the star rating of the hotel or the the price point of the hotel. So it's, again, picking your mark, I guess, and understanding who are the clients that are going to be partnering to create these experiences and journeys that are driven by technology versus who's just looking at cost-driven decisions that they're not going to consider anything to do with an integration platform, uh, integrated network or anything like this, because at the end of the day, it's an additional cost. And yeah, perhaps they're trying to build it as quickly and, and cheaply as they can. How much does uh, like, you know, lead certifications, uh, Bream, I know that you have neighbors in Australia, right? Because I was talking to another gentleman about this stuff. And he said that five, six, what is it, seven, eight years ago, neighbor was one of the so like the proponents for change, especially from the government side, as in having these metrics and how great the building is and that everyone wants to or wanted to compete. So like the level of what the satisfaction that the building has, right? Is that something that you're also seeing still or is, has it stagnated a bit? Or uh, what are your thoughts on neighbors in general? It's not so much that it's stagnated. I think it's just expected now. So I think all buildings are built and there's an expectation that they're going to be five and a half or six stars and it's almost a prerequisite now. So, and it's not a differentiator anymore because everyone's been there, done that. And yeah, most buildings are sort of designed in that fashion. So it's to be fair, I mean, the well standard is probably the one that's starting to emerge more around, yeah, the health of the building as opposed to the energy consumption of the building. So in saying that though, I'm not really seeing that 
there's not a relationship, I guess, between the digital transformation, cybersecurity, and that sort of thing, and the world standard yet. So in saying that, if all the devices are connected and we've got a lot of intelligence in the building, then yeah, the integration platform should definitely be able to drive some of those outcomes, I guess, that will drive a well standard or a well rating. Just briefly, what is Neighbors? Can you just explain to the listeners what it is? Yeah, so basically it's just around energy efficiency. So benchmarking the building and looking at what the consumption of the building is or was and looking at trying to get a percentage saving on that. So again, it's just sort of standard practice now, I would say. It's certainly not a differentiator anymore. It's just expected. And the well building standard, uh, that's also something I've heard in the US. It's a bit... So like LEED and BREAM, they're more about energy efficiency as well, but well buildings is more about healthy buildings. And I think it encapsulates people and some other metrics as well to give it more of a comprehensive thing. But what you're saying, I think that's really interesting with it's not necessarily, it doesn't sort of involve cybersecurity and other aspects of a building, which goes into what we're supposed to talk about, uh, <laughs> like the intelligent buildings, digital twins, IoT platforms. Because I think one of the interesting things that I'm thinking about when you're seeing that someone wants to create an intelligent building and the way that people are doing it still in a way is they take a lot of these so like silo specific intelligent solutions and they expect that the end result is going to be that the building is going to be intelligent right but i think that is as smart as inviting people from different continents that are really really smart into the same room and then you shut the door and you expect them to come up with a great result yes like all of them they're speaking different languages yes. <laughs> They come from a different background. They have very so like silo specific domain expertise in whatever they're doing, but it doesn't necessarily translate into anything else, right? So even if you have like an OT expert that is the best in the world, maybe, okay, if he's in the best in the world, he probably translates well into other areas as well. But you know what I mean? I think that's one of the biggest problems that I've been seeing for a long, long time, even like the last five years in that, okay, let's jam this building with as much intelligent stuff as possible but that's the problem because then you got you, you don't have the single pane of glass these systems can't talk to each other and more especially something that i don't hear enough is that the people managing the building they can't talk to each other because again like the systems can't talk to each other so it's this like knowledge transfer uh, discrepancy that exists i mean is that something that you see as well or oh yeah totally it's and then it's up to a master system integrator or someone to come in and try and stitch together all these systems that were never really intended to talk to each other. And yeah. even things like we've had a discussion in the last week or so around tagging and the fact that at the moment, the most laborious part of deploying an integration platform or an analytics platform is having to suck all the data in and understand it. and Again, when semantic tagging or there's not metadata sort of, it should actually be a really easy job to do for a master system integrator because if everything was tagged and that integration was specified from the outset, then putting in the integration platform and yeah, digesting all that data and knowing what it all is, it should be a really easy job, but it's not. It takes yeah. the labor involved with trying to discover all the systems and uh, yeah, bring the data in and understand it and create the relationships. It's it almost like the value proposition just isn't there because the building owner yeah, is just going to say... It takes too much time. It's too much effort, all these kind of things. That's also, if you go outside building automation, smart building segment, this is the trap where data scientists uh, have been in for the last five years as well, as in data cleaning. 
And I think that's this is also one of the biggest myths of smart buildings, building automation as well, that taking data out, that that is hard. Yes, of course, it is hard to an extent, but in comparison to how to make sense of the data, it's nothing. So getting the data out of BACnet or Modbus or CCTV cameras or whatever it is, it's always doable. And usually you can find something online or whatever, but making that sort of like the sensor data in scale from 20 different sources or 30, 40, 50, and not getting accurate data, that is the biggest problem. So, but how are you solving it today? How is the industry solving it today in Australia or what are your perspective on it? It's labor gets thrown at it. Like it's so that's it basically like there's no other way. So the correct way would be to specify and enforce standards from the outset of a project. So the backnet ethernet example I mentioned, that just should not be allowed to happen. So you have, I think most specifications will say the, the BMS must be backnet, but doesn't go into any more detail than that. So just one extra word, uh, backnet <laughs> IP or backnet web services or backnet SC, those extra little bit on the end could change the game. And just add like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, haystack tagging or or break schema or whatever. So you want more, when you're specifying what the building should look like, one more, a little bit more detail in what standards it should adhere to, even if it's legacy or not, doesn't really matter. And then of course, the IP level is, is a minimum prerequisite, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, right? And then, okay, then metadata tagging for those of you who are listening that might not get that. It's basically, again, I wrote something about this years ago, but it's if I say 10 people I have a Christmas tree in mind, there should be a definition of sort of, okay, height, uh, length, uh, the amount of uh, Christmas uh, decorations, like just some kind of something that sort of forms a unified, what I call a perspective on what a Christmas tree is. And then it's up to the different sort of people to populate whatever they see, but then you can actually have that in a frame of reference that everyone can understand. So getting data out of the building or getting an understanding of what the Christmas tree should look like is much, much easier if you have that, which doesn't exist to an extent, especially for existing buildings. But are you also saying that this is the way for new builds still, that it's not really prescribed or that their prerequisites are there? Is that the same? No, they're not there. And if they are, they're not enforced. Or I think in the early days when Haystack, for example, was specified, there was a misconception that Haystack was a naming convention and people were trying to name points in accordance with Haystack. But yeah, I mean, the way metadata was described to me very eloquently yeah, in the last week or so was it's just data about data. So if we've got a space temperature sensor or a space temperature, it's attaching some data about that piece of data to say, hey, I'm a space temp sensor, I'm in degrees C, um, and yeah, giving it some context, which then makes the job of integration a lot easier. But we've got jobs that we deploy analytics or try to integrate with that come through as analog output one, analog output two. And we don't even have any context whatsoever. So then... Yeah, you don't know where it is in the building. No. You have, don't have a frame of reference. You have no idea about anything. That's right. Okay, so we got a couple of problems here to solve, right? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast. And also a big thank you to our sponsor, Platform of Trust. For those of you who want to collect, harmonize, and trust data from anywhere in the world and make sense of it in a much, much faster way than ever before. Thank you.